Welcome everyone back to the Only Networking Show. So news, education and member spotlights from Only Networking. I'm James West. And I'm Kelly West and we are the co-founders of Only Networking, the business network for people who like people. Fantastic. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you. Yeah, I need to restore some order. Too much fun is had when I'm away. Care any more popular than you? Yes, not happy Discuss. about that. Discuss. Uh, I'll be putting this on every platform possible just to make sure the numbers are better. Yes, <laughs> there you go. So we're very pleased to have you back, Kelly. So busy show this month. We're going to talk about business exit strategy. Very important for people going networking. Um, we've got Kelly's networking gem, which is Kelly's networking gem. Rob will have to do a different caption this time. Just you know, just saying, Rob, in production team. Um, we've also got a very special guest, Rachel Atkinson, the People Choreographer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, James. Thank you, Kelly. Great to be here. We're very pleased to have you with us. We're going to be interviewing you later, finding out more about what you do. But let's start off with some news from around the only network. So I'm going to start with Chris. We love Chris Mansfield, don't we? Um, he was talking about creepy LinkedIn intros. You know, we get these intros, don't we? People that we think you don't really want to connect with me, do you? But he got one of the best ones where someone said, and he quoted this, um, I'd like us to get more familiar. And it freaked him out a little bit, didn't it? It did. I'm not surprised. Yeah. That was quite a weird one. You had any strange? No, I haven't. I've never had one like that. Uh, no, a lot of people have. But yeah, no, nothing. I think that's just clumsy language rather than a sort of particularly creepy. Yeah. I know of a lot of women who have particularly had some bit ambiguous messages, but yeah, no, never. Have you, Rachel? Yeah, I've had some ambiguous ones. Um, I also really like when people have obviously spammed you and say, oh, I really like what you do as a business. So I'd like to reply and say, oh, which, what do you what like bit? that I like? Yeah. And I rarely get a response. I actually had a phone call with somebody that did that, connected with me. I connected back. They rang me yesterday and said, oh, would you like to talk to the business owner a bit more? And I said, yeah, absolutely. If he knows what industry I'm in and he's, you know, mm -hmm. do, do you know what industry I'm in? And you could hear a tap. Oh, business networking. I said, yeah, 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 that's right. Okay, now tell me why I should talk to him because it's clearly you're selling on his behalf. No, mm. no, 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 no. But we go down that line. So, yeah. A lot of automation. A lot, lot of automation. A lot of contact padding going on at LinkedIn at the moment. So don't do it. That would be talk to people. That's yeah, what it's for. Absolutely. That's the whole absolutely. point of it. Anyway, last month, Only Talks, we were talking about exit planning. So Sean Goldsmith, um, and we talked about why you need to have some kind of plan. And this was amazing, actually. We asked the network, you know, we've got 300 plus members. What's your plan? What's your plan for your business? And most people, sadly, don't really have one. It's a kind of, well, I'm just trying to build a business and I'll see where it gets me to. And in my experience, in our experience, often I'll tell you where that leads not very far down the road because you'll end up in this cycle of well I'll just get more clients when I've got more clients I'll have more money to spend on investing in the business and employing people but then when you get to that size where you've got those more clients you become over capacity you end up losing those clients I'm talking from personal experience and you end up cycling around never escaping from it so what did you learn when we were talking about exit um, planning? It frightened me a little bit in all honesty it did make me feel old and it made me realize that I should have probably thought about a lot of these things 20 years ago you don't know do you hindsight is a wonderful thing I've had quite a lot of conversations with accountants IFAs since then as a result and it's actually really interesting to see what a difference the right person for you can make hmm. uh, not that anybody is wrong but you have to align with the people that share your vision and 
obviously understand where you're trying to get to. So that's been quite eye-opening for me. Mm. And it has made me understand kind of a few things we probably need to put in place in order to get to where we want to be. Good point. I'll come back to you on exit strategy and sort of plan for the business, but I don't want to put you on the spot. So I'll read out some of the things I picked up from the members this month. Um, Alex Willis was talking about, because it's she is dating Dotera, now, isn't yeah. she? Um, she's going to will her business to her children, which you can do with some of those mm. network... Can I call it network marketing? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I just did. Yeah. So sorry if I've offended anyone. But what a cool <laughs> thing, the fact that you can will your business to your children. Quite like that one. Tracy Shrimpton was talking about... Um, we talked about why, didn't we, within mm. that education? You know, this whole thing about you've got to have a, a, a deeper meaning behind what you do. And we kind of tried to let people off the hook by saying, if you've still got our own money, certainly mm. in the beginning. Yeah. Um, build a big business, then you've got the choice to donate to charity or help other causes. Tracy Shrimpton said, I really struggled with why until I realised that the why needs to be about what the business enables you to do personally. Mm. I thought that was a really cool way of looking at it. Because again, if you want it to be to look after yourself and your family and your future, what's wrong with that? But if you want to do something more altruistic, that's fine too. But it's got to come back to what resonates personally. Yeah, it was interesting as this conversation rolled out over the month because I think people think exit parent, oh, I'm not going to sell it for four million. I'm, why am I bothered about this? We, we're all going to exit our business at some time, <laughs> whether we choose to or not, whether it's uh, planned or it just happens, it, it's going to happen. You're know, mm. not going to work forever. So it, it's a bit silly in some respects not to think about what that does look like. And whether you, you, you might just give up your business and do a part-time job when you become a bit older, that's, that's still an exit. There yeah. still needs to be a process that's put in place. So I think Tracy's absolutely right. I think we've all got caught up in this, well, I'm doing really good for the world and I'm sustainable and I'm going to give all my profits and I'm going to do that. But you need to look after yourself first and there's nothing wrong with that. You well, Sean said, didn't he? Do you want to give £10 a month to a charity or do you want to build a business that can donate fifty grand yeah. a month to a charity? business isn't evil implicitly it's what you do with the profits that yeah. defines you know what you believe in and what's important so some very good points there deborah levitt mm. don't think we've heard from deborah on the show hi deborah um she talked about just a simple point but we this came up quite a lot that technology and processes can actually help free you from your business because mm. a lot of this education became about um, the fact that a business can trap you business narrative tends to be about building a business and making lots of money but for a lot of people it's about enabling a lifestyle mm. um, and one of the big problems if you're not planning to exit you can get trapped in your business I can't even go on holiday I've been in this position I can't go on holiday because everything is reliant on me turning the cogs and that's why I mean we're working on quite a big automation process with, yeah still scares me Debbie and Steph a shout out yeah no, I don't know Steph hopefully they're doing it right now <laughs> it's imminent <laughs> and it scares me but to see the future we're potentially freeing up two of our employees time nearly 70 or 80 percent of their time just with an automation you know a good automated system so I'm saying just I'm sure it was a lot harder than just just yeah but to get that in place, imagine what they can do in terms of moving the business forward for us as a result of it. Don't worry, guys, you're not getting sacked, but, it's, you know, they can do other things, can't they? <laughs> I know. I sat here thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to do a redundancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the robots are taking over. But no, it gives people um, the ability to put the character into their roles, doesn't it? Rather than the bits that they that can be alternative. Yeah, and uh, particularly for own, it's really important for us to maintain the human element with a people network. So we don't want everything to be faceless automation. But when we're doing as we have been, someone sits there, Kearney, and puts together the attendance sheet manually... That's silly. Not best Because that, that's no one even knows that she's putting that together. Mm. It is a balance, isn't it, between process, automation, but the human side of it, isn't it? Have you got any thoughts on that? Absolutely. So I th- absolutely the efficiency of automation and what, you know, I'm amazed every day at what technology can do. But you cannot take away from that human input. Mm. And it's um, especially when it comes to building relationships, which, as we all know, is the key thing in business. Um, and there is still the creative side and the innovative side that's always going to come from people that you won't get necessarily. You can use technology to... Um, you know, you can input to be more creative with technology, but it always starts with people. And you're selling to people. You know, you're selling to people. Mm-hmm. Everything is around people. So, you know, for me, it's always about treating your staff or your volunteers, whoever, the same as you would treat your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so absolutely, using the technology, but don't become just reliant on it. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, it, when it um, goes wrong, then that's a bit of an issue as well. Networking, for me, is the last thing to that you can't really automate because that has to be you building relationships, which is why a lot of the activity, particularly on LinkedIn, paying someone to make connections for you. I mean, they might be able to press the buttons, but ultimately it's got to be a human being building a relationship yeah. with a human, hasn't it? Yeah. It, it, it takes all sorts at the end of the day, doesn't it? And I'm sure... You can outsource some of it, yeah. the production of your posts. But you can brief someone to post on your behalf. And I know some people will kind of ghost speak as you, but I think that's very hard to do. Hard to maintain. Hard to maintain. It'll get you to a certain level, won't it? But then I think it will fall down at some point. But depends on your industry, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Uh, Claudia, um, part of uh, Claudia Tenorello. Hi, Claudia. Um, why am I saying hello to everyone? It makes <laughs> me look like an idiot. She can't answer. Um, we talked about this whole thing about uh, automation of process and building an operational manual because the idea is if you build a good operational manual you can go on holiday because you can give it to a smart person and they can run the business in your absence and she said in the process of starting to build that process she realized there was one critical function within her business that could not happen without her and as soon as you realize that you've got to fix that quite quickly because what if something happens to you? What if you're out of action? Your business is going to disappear, isn't it? So that was a good, she said, that was really helpful to kind of learn that. Um, yep. And the other thing that came up before I talk about Denise, friend of the show, Denise Willier, um, a lot of people said, oh, the business is me. How could I ever sell it? We've been through this, haven't we? That people say, oh, only comes from you and your personality. But the work we did around culture, particularly with Ben, mm. You can define it and find people to do. Well, Rachel will know all about this as well. Yeah, yeah, of course you can. I mean, nobody's indispensable, are they? You know, and I think we've found this creating only when it was one group. We thought, God, we're never going to meet people like this all over the country, all the world. And you do, of course you do. They're out there. You've just got to find them, haven't you? So I think we're terrible for this. We hold it so close. It's like it's our baby and we don't want to hand it over to, to someone. But when you find the right person, you know, I, I, Kate Chasty, passionate PA, perfect example. She's found the 
best people to come in and support her in her business. And I'm sure that wasn't easy, but if you've got the right people there that can can help you on that journey and take over when needed, yeah, of course, of course it's possible. Not easy, but it is possible. What we learn, and Rachel, I'll ask you to comment on this, is that we are unique as human beings. We you know, are unique personalities, but what, to, to work out who can then do similar or, or, or adhere to what you believe in, that comes down to values, ethics, that the thing that Ben Jury said to us, what what's untenable, i.e. what would you sack someone for because it's not acceptable, mm. that's how you can start to drill down and find those people that do embody what your brand stands for and what you believe in. I, I'd imagine you that makes sense to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of like exit strategy, I'm still like, you know, well, my business is two years old this month. And so I still think I'm at the start. But I do think about, you know, I've got ideas for the future at the moment. I'm just enjoying being a new business owner and the flexibility that goes with it. But absolutely in the future, I mean, I call myself a people choreographer, but in the future, I see myself as having like a chorus line mm-hmm. of people choreographers. But again, it's people that share those values. And it is something that I want to not necessarily give away to people, but I want to share that. So, um, you know, instead of lots of HR consultants that are very process focused, and I know there's lots of HR consultants that are people focused as well, um, but I've got people that are putting people first because that's what's really important to me. So, but those values, that's what is absolutely key. Um, You know, there are lots of different businesses that look for different things in people, but that's what's important to me. So anyone that associated themselves with my business would have to have those same values. Yeah, but they are absolutely out there, aren't they? There's lots of people that believe in very similar things. So um, that was a great point. Well, I I need to mention... I've got to say, I love that chorus line of people. I can already see this. Yeah, there you go. Planning right in the making. We'll talk about your brand in a bit as well, (laughs) by the way. But um, Denise Willier just says, my plan, I probably shouldn't say this. (laughs) I don't think she'll mind. She said, I plan to become an MP. She said, I don't know what my policies are, but she said, I'm going to buy a cocker spaniel and go door knocking and get people to vote, vote for the cocker spaniel i thought that's probably more advanced than most political planning most campaigns it probably is i mean if you're on linkedin and you put a picture of your dog on it always gets loads right. of interaction so yeah it's just but again she's going to talk there. to people she's going to make the effort she's going to get to know people that's all part of the same thing isn't it yeah start the campaign here vote denise will it i am already we'll have to move to brighton just so we can vote for her okay Good. Right. Okay. <laughs> Global networking. We talk. This is a kind of continuing theme of what we're doing with expanding only. Only New York's growing very nicely. Amazing, isn't it? It is amazing to yeah. start to see these people building these connections. You spoke to Caleb, didn't you? Yes, I did. Hi, Caleb. <laughs> Just following on from you, James. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it is, you know, and it is amazing. And that's the power of online networking. You know, we're not limited geographically at all. Um, but again, it's then being really conscious of people's different cultures and timelines and when people yeah. work and, and what's normal to some people is not normal to others. But then I see that as a brilliant yeah. learning experience as well. It's just finding people. Caleb is a great example of someone that we found and we immediately, he gets us, we get him. Great. Let's just start the conversation. Whereas, you know, and this isn't exclusive to the States. You meet other people that networking is a transactional thing. Mm. I've got no interest in your, you know, your people focus. I'm just here to get business opportunities. Great. You're not in the right place. Mm. Um, And that's where uh, online is just opening up things for us, isn't it? it? Yeah, there was a post that was put out the other day. I can't remember. It might have been Richard Hyren's post, but he definitely commented in that and 
Caleb had commented on it, Richard had commented on it, Grant Notman had con commented on it, and it was really clear to see that these three guys, and there was somebody else, I can't remember who it was, all members of ONLY, but very different regions. Mm. And of course, Caleb being in the US, and I'm like, that's just amazing. And they were talking like they were really good friends as mm. well. It was, they weren't doing it just because they had to. They'd obviously taken interest and they understood about each other and they talked quite... And it, yeah, it was just lovely to see that those connections are just being made. Organically. Yeah. Well, on that note, Jenny Erickson over in Norway. Norway from the UK, moved to Norway, runs her business globally. She said this about global networking. Um, I record narrations for clients around the world, most of whom I have never met. The opportunity we've got to connect and expand our networking and, our, and build our understanding of different business cultures and countries is extraordinary. Mm. That's like one of those goosebumps moments, isn't it? Look, Jenny, she said, I've always been, ever since it's been possible to work online, mm. I've always done it. But it's you know, she's kind of ahead of the curve. I think we were to an extent. Yeah, I think it's about having patience as well. I had a one-to-one -one with a lady in New York yesterday and I'm sure she'll agree, the first couple of minutes was awkward. Mm. It did mm. feel a little bit mismatched, you know, we, okay, we'd been introduced, but we didn't really know why. I'm quite weird like that. I'm quite happy to talk. If somebody tells me to talk to somebody, I'll talk to them. And then we started to get a bit of common ground. And then, you know, as the conversation presented, I was thinking we were 10 minutes in and I was thinking we're nearly done. I think we was in there 40 minutes in the end because it just, you've got to have patience though. And you've mm. got to try, mm. you know, it's another person at the end of the day. And you've made that effort to make that connection. Look at the background. I think we t I talked about one of her pictures and it, it was one of her dream boards and it kept moving around and there was things on there that we had mutual interest in. And I had a really lovely conversation with her. Lovely, lovely lady. But if I hadn't have persisted with that, likewise, if she hadn't have persisted with me, we would have never had that conversation. So I think you've got to be patient. You've got to be aware of different culture. Um, we come from different cultures, time differences, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it, it, it takes time. But be patient. But that's, and Jenny's quote, it's the excitement of the potential yeah. of it. And I know that you'll love that aspect of it, that we've got a chance to, we're going to talk about awkward conversations later. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to do that on Only Talks. But it's exciting, isn't it, that we, you know, it used to be you'd network within a 10 mile radius of how people would travel. Now we can network around the world. How cool is that? It's amazing. And everything you do is, like I say, learning about a different culture, learning mm. about different ways of doing things. And then, and let's say, to me, it's just always about growing your comfort zone. You know, every single conversation you have, just grow that a little bit more. And then you learn something about someone so you might be able to build and, you know, bring someone else into the conversation or learn something about the next time you speak to them. Mm. And that's what I absolutely love about, you know, that way of doing things. So again, having conversations with people all over the world, it's, it's, mind-blowing <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. brilliant yeah it, it broadens your thinking doesn't it which yeah, it is does. A, a really healthy place to be so um i did say i'd come back to you about business exit well you did mention you you don't necessarily have a plan is there anything more you'd want to add on that no so i guess like everyone it sounds really cool and say oh, i just want to leave a legacy but there is something about leaving you know just Again, a different way of looking at doing HR. I really, you know, I like my focus on purposeful businesses. I'll only do business with organisations that really are happy to invest in their people. You know, I've turned down work with people who want me to do things that don't sit with my values. And I think 
if you can, it's, again, it's that knock-on effect, isn't it, to get more people involved that do that has got to me create better organisations in the future that really focus on their people. So that's my very sort of no, high-level plan. plan. Um, and like I say, it's not about keeping it all to me. I'm really lucky I've met, you know, some great other um, HR people and, you know, we cover each other when we're going on holiday and we all learn from each other. And, and actually that's, I think it's not quite linked to exit strategy but that's one of the amazing things that I've found since setting up on my own I actually felt more in competition when I was working for big organizations and you're all you know like who's going to get the best PD rating at the end of the year and everything whereas actually now I've got people that they really like championing me and the same for them so part of the exit strategy I guess is looking at you know, people that I work with now to think actually, would I give a bit to them or things like that? So, that's you know, nice. that's another sort of way of looking at how, you know, say hopefully it will keep going and I'll just be, you know, living in Tuscany somewhere and just, <laughs> you know, checking in with Macora's line to make sure they're okay. But, yeah. um, but if not, she started yeah. off saying, I don't really have a plan. And now she's in Tuscany, <laughs> orchestrating so a global to... business change in the world. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, What's a, a PD rating? I can't not ask. Oh, sorry. So, you know, it, it, performance development rating. So at the year, you know, end of the year, you know, so-and-so's done really well and they've got this and so-and-so. So, hate them don't miss them whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> there we go fantastic well um we'll carry on with uh the rest of the show you know okay. what that means no kelly's networking gem right no pressure no pressure so this one it's quite a long one so i'll try and explain this as quickly as i can but getting a goal set for your networking so having a reason setting a goal Having a, not an agenda, we wouldn't want you to, to think of it as being an agenda, but your reason for going for networking. So let me explain. Networking has changed massively over the last couple of years, over the last 20 years, I would say, but completely in the last two years with everything that we've been through. And people will either go networking traditionally for the transaction or they'll go for the relationship. Okay, And we see both in only. We absolutely do. We are more a uh, relationship-based network. We put the relationship first because we see the benefit of building that relationship. And of course, business will come as a result of it. But what I want to say to people today is, I think it, it needs you need to put some effort into the reason you're going to networking. So if you are going for the relationship, you have to be booking in those one-to-ones, don't you? You have to go into the meeting thinking, right, this month, I want to have a chat with XYZ. We produce an attendance sheet, so you can do that in advance. This sounds really obvious, but I think there is a propensity, particularly when you only meet once a month, it's that day again. I'm going into the meeting. Oh, Jackie, I've not caught up with you. I'll get hold of you. We must have that one-to-one. And before you know it, three months, six months has passed and you're not having those conversations. And quite often that is where the gold is. So if you're a relationship-based networker, make sure you're booking in your regular one-to-ones and catching up with people and using particularly our membership, any networking membership to the best of its abilities because all networks will provide you with those contacts. You just have to deepen those relationships. If you're a transaction-based networker, it's a bit different, isn't it? And you know, quite often you'll hear people say, oh, I don't go networking because I get nothing from it. I didn't make a sale. You know, for me, that makes my blood run cold, but we will address it. Networking is way more than the transaction, but it is important to address it because there's still a lot of people that go out there and do it for that reason. So if you are that person that thinks, right, I need a pound sign, return on this. How is my question? How are you going to do that? Can you quantify what you're going to get that from? How many one-to-ones do you need in order to... This Again, this makes my blood run a little bit cold, but you do have to think about 
is your product or service actually something that your network's going to want to buy? Do you talk about it in the right way? Do you give people easy access to that product or service? Do you make it easy for them to buy or to at least inquire with you about what you do? So I think it's about looking at your networking, thinking about the type of networker you are and putting a little bit of structure in, structure, not agenda, putting a structure into what you want to achieve over three months, six months, a year, whatever it is. If you are purely a relationship-based networker, you do that anyway, I would say, and you don't need to worry about it. But if you're not, I would think about what you want to gain from it. And particularly, every network will allow you to ask for something. You are in front of however many people on a monthly, weekly basis. If you are saying anyone or anything, that does not spark the imagination. And I bang on about this all the time. But you should have a key contact area of business uh, company that you want to get uh, an introduction to. And keep asking, guys, until you get that the introduction because I guarantee it will happen it might take a while but it will happen eventually that's a very good I thought about um, a way to explain this I think a, a part of the problem is people go to networking if it's a relationship you've got to put the effort in yeah. after it isn't just standing up and saying hi this is me this is what I do that's not relationship building that's just a, a kind of open invitation for people to talk to you but you've then got to talk back get into the conversation if you are there to sell I see this all the time people let's go stereotypical people go to networking they say hi i sort of do this thing around coaching i'm not really going to tell you what it is that you can buy i'm not going to tell you what the box on the shelf is behind me that you can buy if you want to and by the way i'm not going to do anything to earn any credit with any of you but i expect you to help me mm. well one i can't help you because i don't know what you're selling and secondly why do you think i'm going to help you if you're not showing any interest helping anyone within my network so those that are think the two important things define what it is that you're selling like you were saying make it accessible can't buy if i don't know what it is but also put some effort in try and Definitely. help we all want help but are you trying to help people yeah a key one and rachel was on the meeting this morning so i think a key one is the more specific you are the more it's going to trigger our memories to who we can put you in contact with. And the meeting we were on this morning, there was lots of people, you know, I'm I'm terrible for that. I'm awake at night thinking about this stuff. It takes time. And I know a lot of people. But when somebody says, oh, I want to talk to somebody in a care home, I'm going to think of somebody automatically. If they say, oh, I'm sort of in the, you know, health and wellness, yeah, that's too broad. Mm. So I think being specific is key. I think going back to what you said about having a goal is really important as well. So I we have to be realistic so I entered into networking so I'm quite key I'm an HR person among lots of HR people but I specialize in charities yeah. and that's you know there's not low there are a few charities in only but there aren't loads but only to me is still really important mm -hmm. so I see networking particularly with only is that's my cheerleading squad mm -hmm. those are the people mm -hmm. that when I go on LinkedIn are going to like my post and interact with them and again it's about how you make people feel so I like mm -hmm. to interact with people and you know and promote other people's businesses with only and that's that's what we do so I always and yes I'm really lucky I've got I have got some business but that was never my point because I think it's naive to think oh, I'm going to go in and in three months if I haven't made my money back then yeah. what's the point it is everything is about people and nurturing those relationships and really thinking about how people feel yeah really, really well put it should be Rachel's networking Jeb there you go. Change it. <laughs> Change it. <laughs> <laughs> Change it. Thank you, Kelly. Very good stuff. Okay, final part of the only show is our interview. So here comes my bio. Okay. I sometimes get this wrong, so correct me if I am wrong. I will. So Rachel Atkinson <laughs> is the people choreographer. Um, she's taken the concept of unconventional HR to another level. Her goal is to dis 
disrupt tradition to create more diverse and inclusive businesses. Bringing 20 years experience working with people into her business, Rachel champions people and the, their ability to change the lives of those around them. Rachel, welcome once again to The Only Show. Was that close? Yeah, quite like that actually. Thanks, James. I actually wrote that. It, when, but when you read it out loud, wow. <laughs> yeah, disrupt is a very difficult <laughs> word. I'll give you that, yeah. An idiot like me. But anyway, okay. Why does HR need disrupting anyway? So I think I feel in general that disruption is the way to go. Change is happening more and more quickly. You know, if I just look in my own lifetime at things that, you know, are new in the world um, that you can't imagine were around, you know, when I went to school all those years ago. Um, and I feel that HR has become a sort of a go-to of, of, you know, what to tell people. It's like, so for me, you employ adults if you want something done and then you treat them like children. And that's what, you know, HR has typically got into this. We oh, have to have a policy for this, a procedure for that. So I think it's about doing things differently. Absolutely, you have to have governance. And I've worked in some heavily regulated industries where, of course, you need to have some policies and procedures, but not about everything. You know, if you employ somebody because they've got great skills and ideas, then empower them to do that. And so it's working with organisations to nurture that within them um, to think about things differently you know so we've talked about the future you know we're generation z how you know the younger people that are coming into the workplace and becoming our consumers they live in a world where they've never not known having a mobile phone and access to all of that information and that's global information their influences are so different to whatever our influences were so i think for me for organizations to attract their employees of the future and their customers and consumers of the future they need to be understanding about doing things differently so i think there's far too much that we do just because it's traditional just because someone that we've never met once decided that's how things should be mm. and that um that frustrates me and um, would be my polite way of putting it <laughs> it's true though isn't it because we've gone from kind of you know previous even to my generation sort of jobs for life you know and people just did what they were told because i was glad to have a job and now we're into a time where people do have choice good they they you know gen z in particular will work for people based on very different set of values now Absolutely. the ethics of that organization they don't particularly want to be treated i'm making a generalization but as a kind of statistic and you know in that hr machine mm. so if their workforce and attitudes to work change surely hr has to change in accordance to that yeah and i guess that's that's how i see it really you know if you've got a role to fill so many automatically people think oh it's right full time nine to five monday to friday mm -hmm. i mean look that's one of the good things that's come out the last couple of years mm -hmm. attitudes are changing to hybrid working and working differently but actually how about if you completely disrupt it so one of the things i worked on with some of my clients is having an annualized hours contracts because you know you might be that you have really busy times where someone comes in and then they're going to go off and do something else or travel or work for another organization and again that's a really great way of sort of getting a regular income getting buy-in from that person and some uh you know attachment to your organization mm -hmm. but actually you just bring them in when you need them so it's just looking at really different ways of doing things i mean my 
you know, my daughter Sydney, who you've met, and um, who obviously I think is pretty awesome. When she had her interview for college and they said, what is it that you want to do? She said, well, I don't know. She said, because it might not have been invented yet. And that's true, you know, and that is what's happening with the younger generation. Yeah. There are jobs and roles that are, exist now and they're going to exist in five years that we can't even imagine at the moment. Mm. So that's why it's so important for organisations to keep looking forward and thinking and you know there are traditions that people like and we've all got our own little traditions but I think it's really important to let go of some of those and um, embrace the unknown yeah it's true isn't it if job roles are going to become fluid I mean it's like marketing isn't it go and do a degree in marketing by the time you start working in marketing what you've been taught's changed, changed yeah. so and again if, if you're an employer to say that's the role you've got to be a bit more fluid than that now, haven't you? And accepting that roles will change massively. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, so again, so for me, it's all about nurturing people's attitudes. Again, it's all about how people feel when they're doing things. And again, it's there's so much that we focus on in organisations about what people need to know. You know, you need to know this and you need to know that. Actually, if you focus on how people want to feel within your organisation, automatically you're going to teach them what they need to know because that's part of the role. But actually you're going to teach them how to feel part of a team, what's in, what's really important about being part of that organisation, what their vision is. And so, yeah, that's going back to what we were saying earlier, it's all about how you make people feel. That's very cool. Do you think there's just that safety blanket there, though, for a lot of them, particularly big organisations? Like That's just the way it's done. It's easier to just not think about it. We're just going to keep doing it that way because you're talking about the annual hours. I thought, well, that's genius. But that's nothing... There's nothing mind-blowing there, is there? It only takes simple ideas to make quite a big difference, doesn't it? Mm. And I think that that's why it's great working with smaller businesses sometimes because mm. they are a lot more flexible when it comes to these things. But there are a lot of larger organisations that are embracing this way of thinking. Yeah. But you're, you're right, it is. And when you're in turbulent times, it's really easy to hang on to what you know. Yeah. But actually, it's the really great forward-thinking businesses that will be like, actually, no, we're going to invest differently yeah. and we're going to try different things. And it is it's scary, really scary. But I think the more you can involve your people and treat them like adults and ask for their ideas and input, for me, it's got to be a great thing for businesses. Yeah. Brilliant. People choreographer. Yeah. So your brand, I mean, as you said, the business is two years old. That's already a, a new version of your brand, isn't it? Why did you change it to that? And how did you gain the understanding to know that that's what you wanted it to become? So I feel in the beginning, I knew that I wanted to be an HR consultant that was a bit different, but not describe myself. You know, that, that can sound a bit strange. And my analogy, love an analogy, um, is I was watching Strictly. Um, or Dancing with the Stars, because it's got to be inclusive for those people that don't watch Strictly. Yeah. <laughs> and the and I was thinking, why is it that a TV programme can take people that can't dance and teach them how to dance, amazingly, and in a really inclusive way from lots of people from lots of different backgrounds? And organisations can't implement change or do things and, and people don't get on board with it. And it's because they put people front and centre. They bring in, how does that purpose? person learn really well what's really important to that person what do you have to adapt to make that person feel really comfortable so they can learn to dance so actually if you take that concept and put that into businesses that fits so much with how I feel about working with organizations and I have to say I had a really good coach and we were just having a session and I was just like 
I'm the people choreographer and it took a little while to make it stick but actually now and doing some work you know on my brand and it's really helped me sort of define what I do and now I can go in with confidence and say I'm a people choreographer I'm like an HR consultant I like to think I'm a little bit more fun and it's more about sort of bringing diverse people together um, so yeah that's how kind of in a nutshell where I got to. That's very cool isn't it? Well you've just mentioned diversity mm -hmm. um, I know can I call you a champion of diversity and inclusion? Is that fair? I like to think so, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Evidently, if you know Rachel, you know that that is absolutely the case. It's so quite important to me, yes. It is very important to you. Do um, it, So it's been talked about more. Great, we've had conversations before this recording about the fact that the starting point really is having open conversations. Mm. Difficult conversations sometimes about privilege, about the, the scope of the problem. Are you seeing genuine change or do you think a lot of individuals and businesses are still paying lip service to that? There's an absolute mixture. Uh, so I get frustrated. So if I go back to my employed world, it was a bit, so I was still employed when the George Floyd incident happened. So, um, and previously to that, the sort of Me Too movement and things like that. And there's a, you know, it, let's look at HR, come up with a policy for this. And it's not that. This is not a tick box exercise. This mm. is individuals and organisations thinking much more broadly about how they do business, who they engage with. And so from my point of view, as an, although I'm an HR person, it's just as important for me to work with a marketing department as it is with the rest of the HR team, because people are people, whether they're a customer or an employee or a volunteer. Um, it's about employing to people, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Appealing. Thank you. Appealing to um, to everybody. So some organisations, yes, you know, I think, great, they're going to turn up on LinkedIn and do a post about pride. And then but actually, what are they doing to really understand what it's like to be um, an LGBTQ plus person employed? You know, it's not about ticking a box to say, oh, we've got one of them, we've got that. And that's what I've seen in some organisations. And that, again, makes me very angry because you're not... You're doing that person a disservice if you think it's just about ticking a box. It's about really understanding what it's like to live through some of the experiences that people live. And, and again, I'm really conscious that I am a, you know, I have a certain privilege myself as a, as a white woman. And so I don't know what it's like to live through a lot of things that some people do. But having worked with a lot of organisations who support marginalised and minoritised people, I know that there's not enough being done. Okay. So, well, let's talk about that. Then what can we do? Because I think there's probably a, maybe a lazy perception that this is a governmental big business issue. I'm a small business owner. What can I really do to make meaningful change? But we can, can't we? What can we do as small business owners to contribute to better inclusion, diversity in business? So first of all, it's just starting with your own knowledge. We said it's a really uncomfortable subject. I mean, we've had this conversation and I know it's something that you've said you've had, you feel uncomfortable having conversations about. I still do too. I'm still learning all of the time, but we have to be curious. And I almost feel there's different levels. There are, you know, and again, whether it's race or gender issue, whatever it happens to be, you can sit there and just think it's not my problem, it's someone else's. Or you can sit, I think, in the middle where a lot of people do that say, well, you know, I'm not racist and I'm not sexist and I'm not homophobic. And I think that's wrong. 
but I think actually it's taken the next step to say, actually, this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to learn what it's like to come from a community where you might not have the same privileges as everybody else. I'm going to speak to or read about or watch films around what it's like to grow up as a gay person when it's not felt like that's the norm. And it's really, for me, about every day challenging yourself about what's the norm because normal what is normal yeah. you know everyone's normal is completely different so having that is challenging yourself every day and thinking within your business what is it that I'm doing to appeal to people so don't think about your current customers if you want to remain relevant think about who you want your customers to be in the future so you know again um disability is, is a massive issue as well and appealing to people so um, I've mentioned to you previously, I only want to do videos if I can put subtitles on them because I need to be able to appeal to, you know, it's really important that people don't feel marginalised because they're not able to understand what I'm saying. Although I do speak quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so from all those point of views, just thinking and it can be overwhelming mm. because there is so much, you know, what should I be doing? Should I be focusing on race? Should I be focusing on something? I would just say pick something and learn about that and actually by that your thought process will then automatically start becoming more inclusive because you start to think about things from other people's point of view and how to make them feel comfortable love that that's very important well we've even talking about global networking and you know the excitement of the fact that we can now speak to different cultures different countries around the world um but again, have you got any advice on how we can overcome the fear of, oh, I don't want to ask about that because that might create an awkward situation? Someone very wise once said to me who has taught me a lot about it, like I say, and I'm learning still all the time and I get things wrong. And what that person said to me is having these conversations is like learning to ski. You're going to fall over and you're going to get hurt and sometimes you're going to get it wrong. But you know what? At least you're trying to have those conversations. At least you're trying to learn to ski. So just accept that you're going to get things wrong, accept that you're going to be clumsy, apologise. And, so, and that's what I say to, to, you know, people sometimes, I'm really sorry, I'm going to ask a question and it's going to be really clumsy. And if I offend you, I'm, that's not my intention whatsoever. But can you tell me about, you know, so uh, a lady I was working with was getting married. She was Bangladeshi um, and she, her and her husband were both Muslim, but they were different. And I was, so I was really interested. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, you know, I'm really interested to hear about your way. I don't want to offend you, but I don't understand. So tell me about your ceremony. So, and that opened up a world to me that, it, you know, it was really fascinating yeah. about how, even though they were both from the same country and the same religion, things were different. And, and it was amazing just to learn about that. But it's not just around, like I say, what we call the protected characteristics in terms of race or gender. It's actually about understanding people from different backgrounds, different personality types. So to start those conversations, sort of think just because someone's quiet and they're introverted, yeah. you know, there's different ways of getting things out. You know, we're all people, we all, there's certain things we all do. You know, even if you start with, what's your favorite food types? You know, tell me about what makes you feel comfortable. What does a great day look like to you? You know, all those things give you ins to understand what it is that makes people feel comfortable. I realized this many years ago that generally, if, if your intention is good and you're just coming from a position of curiosity, Nisha said this to, in, in similar words as well. Um, I've always asked people questions to the point where it could be questions that are a little bit nosy, but I don't ever recall, and I've done this for thousands of times at networking, professionally interviewing people, I can't ever recall someone going, no, I don't want to answer that. No. Because generally I think people are quite 
pleased that you're all they can do is say look i'd rather not talk about that but Absolutely. i think if you're talking about people's lives and race and where they come from and gender and I'd imagine most people are fine with that, aren't they? Absolutely. And the thing is, some people won't be, but that would be the same. You know, there are, yeah. there are always people that are going to be offended, you know, and I think I've lived very much by the 80-20 rule for a lot of my life yeah. is, you know, as long as I can um, appeal to most people, I'm going to get it wrong and I'll always apologise, but just not being scared, not being scared to fall over, not being scared to get hurt. Definitely. A couple of things. I got goosebumps when you were talking about the Bangladeshi couple and you, you asking questions because I would imagine... Quite often they'd sit there and think, why does nobody ask us this? This is not mm. normal, you know? So to show that interest is obvious. I've got goosebumps again. Um, the other thing is I have this conversation quite a lot. And I, I said before the call, I've, I've come a long way in my career. I never used to talk about the kids at all. And it got to a point, probably the first year of only, people would say, I didn't even realise you had kids. You know, it helps now that Kearney works for us. But we don't talk about Kennedy very often. So Kennedy is, well, if I started a conversation with somebody on a one-to-one and they talk about kids, etc. And oh, tell me how old they are. And I will say, well, Kennedy's fifteen, but mentally she's only three. And it's always really, People don't I know feel really bad because I need to think of a different way to to kind of talk about her because fifty percent of people will laugh thinking that I'm making a joke. Mm-hmm. And if they laugh, I go, oh no, she is. But then all kids have their moments, don't they? And I'll I'll try and ease them out of that feeling awkward because she literally does have the mental age of a three year old. And then other people were looking, you can see them going, I don't know what to say to this. So I'll go, but it's fine. She's happy. She's healthy. You know, she's another kid and she Helps keep she grounds us. Ground. She yeah. absolutely grounds us. So I think it's about as much, uh, I said just now, didn't I? Oh, yeah, I've got a disabled child. I never think about that. Mm. She's just Kennedy. I don't do anything special for her. I don't treat her any differently. So I don't expect other people to do that. But. They don't know I feel that way. So it's as much our... Yeah, because you're showing some of your vulnerability and your truth, aren't you? And I've often... I'll talk about Kennedy if people were saying, oh, I'm sorry, I, I had to go because something was happening with my children. So very much as a network, part of the reason we're online is that it's much better for people that have got children because they don't have the travel time. It can be more flexible. They can drop in and out if they absolutely have to. And I'll generally tell people, of course, we understand what that reality is like because we've got a daughter who's perpetually like a toddler. Mm. So sometimes that's the right way to approach it, isn't it? Because you're you're showing some of your life that makes people perhaps more comfortable. Yeah, and sort of sharing some vulnerability really helps in building trust, which is, you know, the bedrock of building great relationships. Mm. Uh, But again, it just goes back to because of this idea of what is normal yeah. that's been so built in and you know especially in the western world you know we do live in a world which is you know no offense to james and andy in the room but you know it's predominantly a lot of things are done you know around white men you know white mm-hmm. male if you look at the sort of the top it's of right the right. privileged pyramid um and again white people in general and we don't know what it's like to you know have conversations with our kids to say you know you're going to be treated differently in school you know mm. just be prepared can you imagine having that conversation so we've obviously had conversations with kennedy because mm. of it's not perceived as normal and i think one of the things that i've it's really struck me um particularly with working with some of the organizations that i have so they deal with predominantly black people you know their funding is based on supporting black people in their community so i've tried to find 
you know, I've done some work with them and then I've tried to find partners to come and work mm. with them and I've really struggled. And it makes me start to look at things from their world. And like a, a classic example is at Christmas, you know, you watch, you got Christmas 24 on however many channels and, you know, they're quite cheesy films, but do you know what? Yeah. They're nearly always white people mm. yeah. and so many things that you do. And now I watch certain films and I just think, you know, if I was a black person, which is, I would be really off because you know again it's just oh yeah the white is considered is considered normal and it's it's not you know it's yeah. um the world is an amazing colorful place full of lots of people with great ideas and creativity and actually the way we can become stronger is by bringing all of that together and understanding that wow i think that's a perfect point to end on isn't it well said rachel okay thanks. thank you um, well, thank you for joining us today. It's been, we've got to go and do the only talks now. Yeah. We're going to get into this topic even more. But um, no, it's been fantastic. Yeah, thank, thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Good stuff. So this has been The Only Networking Show. Please like, subscribe, share, and we'll see you again next month.